You are listening to the Wellacopia podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm Eva Minkoff, your host and fibromyalgia warrior. I like to have candid conversations about chronic illness with both patients and practitioners. In other words, people. I'm also the founder of Wellacopia, the matching site for healthcare relationships. We connect wellness seekers like you with the integrative providers best suited to be your partners in care. Visit wellacopia.com to match with your dream doctor, nutritionist, therapist, and more. On today's episode, I interview the Sherlock Holmes of depression, psychiatrist and functional medicine doctor, Achina Stein. As a board-certified psychiatrist for over 25 years, Dr. Stein's osteopathic roots set her apart from the conventional psychiatrist because of her use of the biopsychosocial approach paired with functional medicine, which has made her a diagnosis detective. Her son's psychological health crisis in 2010 was a catalyst for exploring functional medicine, then establishing her practice, Functional Mind, and now the release of her book, The Whole Reason I Knew I Had to Have Her On Here, which is titled, What If It's Not Depression? Before we get started, just a reminder that all conversations and health claims on this podcast are based on individual experiences and expertise. Everyone has their own personal and professional truths and should be treated as such. Okay, let's get started. Good morning, Dr. Stein. Hey, how you doing, Eva? All is good over here. I'm so glad that you could join us today. I really appreciate you inviting me. It was kind of uh, serendipitous that we were having other conversations and it just came up, so. Yeah, like we met not really having an intention of doing a podcast episode, but once I heard about what you're doing and your book, I was like, oh, oh man, you need to come on right away. <laughs> yeah, it was really exciting. So we really connected, it was nice, yeah. Awesome, well, uh, I'd love for you to start with your story from both a personal and professional standpoint, in whatever way you'd like. Okay, um, let's see, where should I start? Um, well, you know, in keeping with your um, um, perspective, I think, uh, you know, especially with chronic illness and finding ways to help people with chronic illness and connecting them to the, you know, proper practitioners with Wellacopia. Maybe I'll just start there. Um, I am a psychiatrist, but I'm first an osteopathic physician. I was trained medically first, and then I did a psychiatric residency. Um, and I practiced as a conventional psychiatrist for like 20 something years. And, um, and even though I was doing that for a number of years and seeing really, really um, sick people that were in the prison system and community mental health system. My world was turned upside down when my son became really, really ill. Um, we were on a trip in uh, France and India. We had taken the kids out of school and we, my husband's a professor and um, he, uh, he, we were on, he was on sabbatical. So we decided to make it a long trip and we took uh, my, our kids out of school, all three of them. And this was back in 2010. And um, there was, towards the end of the trip, my son just became acutely depressed and suicidal. 
and uh, long story short, he was literally, you know, ready to jump off of a fifth floor building. And, um, you know, just, I mean, just even saying that just makes me want to, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, that was 10 years ago and it still brings up a lot of feelings. But, um, so long story short, you know, we got him home and I had not see a psychiatrist, a really good one. And he was put on three medications, one for depression, one for sleep, one for attention issues. He had a whole bunch of symptoms, not just um, depression. And um, at the time, it was really perplexing to me because um, he didn't just have a depression and it came like literally out of the blue. It was not being able to think clearly. He had brain fog and most importantly, most perplexing was the fact that he just couldn't even read anymore. And this is a kid who had a photographic memory and would read like lightning and, uh, and remember everything. And he just couldn't even read anymore. And so it's like something else is going on here. I, you know, I just knew something else was going on here. And this was sort of the same feeling that I had with a lot of my patients. Like I would get to a point where, um, you know, I get them to a point with what I knew, but there was something that I didn't know was happening, but I knew what's happening, but I didn't know what it was, you know, and trying to figure it out, trying to go through whatever I knew. And I knew there was something I didn't know. And around the same time uh, that this happened with my son, I was actually looking for other types of tr um, training. And I was looking into integrative training um, out West with uh, Tierra Low Dog and um, Teriona. I can never pronounce her name, <laughs> Tiarona Dog at West. And, um, and so I just happened to come upon uh, um, uh, serendipitously through making phone calls and looking into programs, come upon a practice called Visions Healthcare in um, Dedham, Massachusetts, which has since closed. And um, I was lucky enough to have the medical director there allow me to shadow him and for for I am forever grateful for that and it was there that I learned about functional medicine and when I brought my son there um, so many things changed and he just had a full functional medicine workup and it was to the point where he was able to come off you know at, and it took a, it took a, um, you know a progression of things improving but it was it was over as early as three months some of his symptoms got significantly better but it took up to um, I think it was like a year and a half for all of his symptoms to completely remit and come off of all of his medications so you know in that journey with him I just learned so much and and once you know those things, you just can't, you just can't turn back and go back to the way you were doing things. You know, you, you just, I just needed to know more, know more, know more. Unfortunately, they hired me there. Uh, I started working at Visions Healthcare and, um, you know, basically I became trained as a functional medicine provider and I've been basically, you know, treating all of my patients in the same way that he was treated. And I have a lot of patients that get better um, their depression and anxiety or whatever symptoms 
significantly improve and you know but it's you know everyone's different everyone has a different journey and depending on their constellation of symptoms you know things take longer than others and so but that's basically what i've been doing now for the past five years and um it's all i do and uh, well i also see patients for psychotherapy too because i am trained as a psychotherapist as well and um and so because and because there's so many people out there that um you know need uh to know that there's another approach i decided to write a book and we'll talk about that some more later um but um but that's basically my journey and oh and the best thing about it is that I really also had um, my own health issues that I also resolved with the same approach as well. So can you actually uh, go into what functional medicine is a bit? Because I realize um, a lot of people don't know what functional medicine is and we want them to. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's really... Um, it, it, a lot of functional medicine practitioners do conventional medicine, and there's a layer of integrative medicine where integrative medicine is uh, using supplements and herbs and other modalities of treatment like acupuncture and massage, and you know, um, it's it's adding alternative forms of care to resolve issues. But functional medicine is a layer even on top of that. Um, most functional medicine doctors do conventional medicine and the integrative medicine piece. Um, but on top of that is functional medicine where you get to the root cause of the problem. Um, we, and it's sometimes it's getting to the root cause of what's causing the symptoms, but then there's root causes of those as well. So you might have a symptom of, of depression, um, but there's invariably numerous root causes. And so conventional doctors or traditional classic, you know, doctors or other practitioners who pr practice conventional medicine, you know, no, you know, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, hypothyroidism, um, you know, there's are, are classic causes, medical causes of depression. Um, and then, what I, and they might like, let's say, prescribe an antidepressant. Um, and an integrative doctor might prescribe um, or recommend um, uh, St. John's Wort, you know, or um, omega 3 fish oil. Um, whereas a, a functional medicine doctor might look for the causes, which usually re resides in the gut lining and so we treat the gut to treat the brain and a lot of times people who have depression as an example actually a lot of problems actually reside in the gut and that's basically the core i feel like that's like the core thing that we do is really look for everything as to what's going on in the gut that's not in order in order to treat other symptoms you know um depression being one of them anxiety ocd you know um even fibromyalgia chronic pain syndrome so uh, we, we try to increase um, the, um, sorry, improve the immune system. You know, we increase, we improve, increase gut permeability issues. And I don't know if your audience knows about that, it's also known as like leaky gut syndrome. 
Um, really? and we support, we, yeah, we support the, the immune system, basically try to get the immune system back online. Um, so digestion and the immune system are two big things because a lot of times things are caused by lots of inflammation in the body. So it's what's causing the inflammation in the body is really important, figuring that out and decreasing it in wherever you can. So that's looking at stress, hormones, infections, foods, and toxins. So the way to remember that would be the acronym SHIFT, stress, hormones, infections, foods, and toxins. So we look at those five areas to reduce inflammation. And then we really look at um, giving the body all the raw materials to fight inflammation um, and uh, that's healthy foods healing foods you know um, removing the inflammation but um, you know vitamins minerals phyto, uh, phytonutrients you know there's all a lot of things that you can do to replace what the body needs in order for it to work efficiently as a machine you know because it can heal and itself if you provide it um, you know all the nutrients that it needs and um and then a big part of it is re-inoculating the microbiome and bringing the microbiome back into balance and then repairing the gut lining and lastly it's looking at rebalancing the whole body and figuring out from what went wrong in the beginning you know in, in order to um prevent it from happening again in the future. Oh, that's, uh, thanks for taking us through that. I was able to really experience like what it, in a way, what it would be like to work with a functional medicine doctor and all the investigating. And that's so cool because I think definitely for me and for a lot of us, we don't feel like we get that kind of attention where someone cares to dig deep or really has the time, I guess, to dig deeper and get to that root. Cause like you said, it's the, figuring out the root cause and then the root cause of that root cause. And right. uh, yeah, it's like the question asking why, why, why you've ever done something like that. I love that activity when you ask someone like, why do you want this? And then you go, okay, well, why do you want that? And then it goes deeper. So you get to the root of your desires. Um, I don't know if I, I love that um, activity, but it's the same with medicine in terms of root cause. So that's cool. Absolutely. I mean, I've always been that way. I can even remember as a child, uh, you know, I shouldn't, not a child, like a teenager asking questions of a doctor. Well, why did I get this? And like, where did it come from? How did I, how did this happen? And there was like no answers, <laughs> you know, like they would just act as if they just didn't even hear your question, <laughs> you know? So I've always been that way to try to figure out why something happened and not just why, but why now? You know, like, why does someone get sick, um, you know, that has um, a certain number of symptoms and, and another person who has the same symptoms doesn't? What does this other person have that this person doesn't have? So I'm, I'm always, like, thinking about those kinds of things. And it's just the way I operate. I've always been that way, you know? Yeah, it makes sense that you went into this then, for sure. What about, actually, would you mind sharing um, a situation where when you ask yourself why that you really haven't been able to find an answer or like, what is it, what is it normally when it, when it's truly a mystery for a while? Do you, is there something that you do when, um, I don't know, it becomes a dead end. I don't know if that's. 
Uh, well, you know, if I'm working with somebody and and I come to a place where we're sort of like, um, what is that? Uh, when you're um, <laughs> uh, like, you're just not moving forward, you know, oh, you're yeah. like running in place or yeah, yeah. I, I know there's a term there. I'm there's like, a term for that, like that I'm <laughs> not uh, picking. Well, and we all, huh? Hamster wheel. Hamster wheel, like you're on a hamster wheel and yeah. you're not going anywhere, you're not moving forward, you, you're doing all of this stuff and it's extremely frustrating, uh, you know, for not just uh, the patient or the client, but also the practitioner. Yeah. And so what I usually do is I go back to the drawing board and start over. Mm. And because, I mean, you know, when you have multiple errors, especially if you've like found in, so what I, let me go back to what I do. So I basically put everything on a timeline about what happened from the very beginning of life. And sometimes even before a person's born, because if their mother had some fetal you know, issues, you know, feed, um, you know, issues while they were pregnant with the, the person, then, you know, that could certainly impact on some level. Oh, yeah. So, but, um, and, you know, now epigenetics is even showing, you know, there's you know, all this research about epigenetics and how, what the mother experience, even from a stress standpoint can be, you know, experienced by the person who's born. So that, that all impacts on some level. And, um, but, I put everything on a timeline and to find all the layers as clues for layers. And then obviously we have to start somewhere. So, um, and I focus on really getting digestion in order and, and focus on what's going on in the gut. And that's the second thing to get in order. But if we reach a point where um, things aren't moving forward and we hit a plateau and the way I know this is by doing cer certain questionnaires, and we want to find certain symptoms to come down. Um, but when we reach a plateau, it's like, okay, let's go back to our timeline and um, see what we didn't address because you can only address certain things at a certain, you know, a certain amount of things at once because it can be overwhelming for that person <laughs> to focus on so many things. So you, you kind of want to follow this progression. And so we go back to the beginning and it's like, oh, you know, this showed up on this test and believe it or not, you know, research and medicine, uh, cutting edge medicine is changing very rapidly, even from year to year. So if I did a test, let's say a year ago and we addressed stuff and then new stuff, new information has come out on that test. It's like, oh, we didn't address this. Now it's, you know, we know we should address this in this way. And so we'll go back to that and address it and things change. So it's going back to the drawing board and it's like, maybe we missed something. And, you know, sometimes your, your assessment of situations are as good as what the person tells you. Yeah. And so if they forgot to mention, or if I, you know, ask a question a different way, it's like, it triggers a memory. It's, it's like, that's really relevant. <laughs> I wish you told me that before, <laughs> you know, so it can really, you know, change things and, uh, and change the path of even how we're going to address certain, certain conditions. So I really go back to the drawing board and almost start over as if they're like a new patient. And, and obviously a lot of this takes time. The thing that I do differently with a lot of people is really provide the time and really be like a Sherlock Holmes and, uh, you know, to try to figure out what's going on with that person and really finding those pieces of the puzzle to put together. And, um, 
I used to not like uh, saying Sherlock Holmes before because, uh, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a guy. And I know that there is this um, um, new modern female detective. But just recently in Korea, I think it's Korea, that there's this new series that came out called Sherlock Holmes, but she's a female Sherlock Holmes. And believe it or not, Sherlock is actually a female name that I did not know. <laughs> that is news to me. And someone with a British background, I feel like I should have known that, but all right. <laughs> That's cool. So, but anyway, you know, so I would do that and, you know, go back to the drawing board and try to figure out, well, maybe I missed something along the way, but certainly if I'm really, really hitting a wall, I would find somebody else to, you know, consult with, um, with my patient or actually even refer the patient to find someone for that person to work with that I know would most likely have the answer. I mean, that would be right. The like thing. Every doctor has their own expertise, and even if they study the same specialty, people retain and have um, have acquired different uh, experiences. And it's I love it when doctors make a network so that they can um, sort of become a Sherlock Holmes group. Exactly. Yeah, I'm actually part of um, these closed Facebook groups of other functional medicine practitioners across the country, and you know we'll post. And I'll even say to the patient, you know what, I'm going to post, you know, a case without identifying you on, on this, on my Facebook group and see what everyone else has to suggest. Maybe something will be right for you. And, you know, that, and we post to each other and we all comment and make, you know, make suggestions. And, you know, sometimes it's hard, you know, to, to tell the entire story, especially if you've been working with someone for a while and some suggestions is like, yeah, we, well, we already thought of that. We already thought of that way, but there might be one suggestion. It's like, Oh, I didn't think of that. You know, that's a good idea. You know, so. Um, All it takes is one. Right. So. Right. Actually um, I'd love to dive deeper into where the patient practitioner relationship uh, is, is so important in this discovery process. Cause like you said, some people just won't mention things because they don't think it's important. And I don't even know how many times I've come across that. It happened in my own life with being diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I didn't know to tell doctors about the whole ballet thing because I was like, I had a great childhood. I didn't think being a dancer was relevant, except that I'm, we're, I mean, we're almost certain, I don't know for sure, that um, it laid the whole foundation for me having fibro and hypermobility syndrome, if not like the direct cause. Uh, but I didn't know I should be telling my doctor that. Or they didn't know the extent to which I was dancing because I didn't, I didn't say, oh, by the way, it's been 15 years and I did like five hours a day sometimes. <laughs> right. It's kind right. of important. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. You don't really realize, but it's also asking the question and, and you know, and maybe even asking the question again, you know, in a different way. That's really hmm. important too. So, yes, yes. That's yeah. actually what happened with me in particular when, the, like, the day I was diagnosed, uh, my doctor said to me, because they had a feeling that I had fibro but didn't want to tell me yet, and they asked, uh, did you have a traumatic childhood? Which I thought was a weird question, you know, out of left field. And I was like, no, I had a great childhood, very happy, I'm still a very happy person. Um, but then they had to pry. It was like, was there any kind of chronic stress that you experienced when you were young? Is there something that would make you upset on a regular basis? And then, because I have a love-hate relationship with ballet, I was like, oh, that. <laughs> yes. 
Ah, yeah. And it's the love hate that's mm -hmm. also important. That dynamic, really. Any yeah. any type of yeah conflict. It doesn't even have. I mean, so when people hear the word trauma, they think trauma like with a capital T, you know, right. abuse. And I mean, it can be with a little T, <laughs> yeah. or as simple as just conflict. Just <laughs> when there's conflict. So you had a conflict with ballet, <laughs> right? Yeah, that can play out in your body. Yeah, I've, no one's ever actually identified it as a conflict, but that's absolutely true. Uh, it's it's still a conflict conflict to this day. I've actually started doing a little bit of ballet again, and uh, it's mostly been going well, and I'm working within my body's range. But yeah, it's a love-hate, probably always will be, um, right. both emotionally and physically. Uh, but yeah, we're, um, I'm curious, do you have some stories like mine that you're open to sharing? So ones where it was like truly something a patient never would have, or was really hard to, to dig up? Um, well, you know, it's interesting because, um, because I'm a psychiatrist, I know, I know how to draw sometimes those, those yeah. kinds of things out. And I mean, cause I, uh, I, and I actually look for these things too, actively look for these things. So what I look for are chronic feelings of guilt, chronic mm -hmm. feelings of shame, um, you know, um, dynamics in relationships that repeat themselves over and over and over again, self-hatred, um, you know, these are really intense feelings that a lot of people don't talk about. <laughs> and believe it or not, that can significantly impact on your health. Significantly. And you don't have to even be like I use, I do this um, uh, questionnaire called the ACE score. Are you familiar with that? That sounds very familiar. Yeah, adverse childhood events. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, that kind of picks up on, on the major stuff that can happen in terms of uh, like abuse. Um, it, it does pick up on really, you know, what's happening in the household when you're a child on some level. But, you know, you can also develop, um, you know, ideas just because, you know, of the way you draw conclusions. Um, you know, for example, I've had a patient that had an intense thing happen in his house where um, his father collapsed and he was five years old <laughs> and his mother began crying and the child at five took it upon like took it upon himself to try to protect his mother and um, because he was sent to his room uh, because and i and i'm assuming i don't know because i never talked to his mom you know i'm assuming that um this she sent him to his room to protect him right mm -hmm. but he took it as i failed i failed to protect you and you rejected me you know and then every dynamic after that kind of is played out every relationship is I'm a failure I, I I'm not good enough I don't you know I didn't 
you know, those those thoughts can really play. I mean, there are a lot of people who have feelings like I'm not good enough or I fail, but, but it can play to an intense depth in every relationship and everything that you do that it then becomes like, it defines you. And that can be expressed in physical symptoms, you know? So, you know, it is those, those kinds of things are what I look for because they tend not, especially if someone who is not getting anywhere in terms of they get to a point and they plateau, it, you, you, those kinds of thoughts and feelings and core, core, you know, feelings about themselves can really impact on how, how you do from a health standpoint. And this is where you use what's known as the, the biopsychosocial approach, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, can you can you talk about that a little, a little bit? I mean, it it's sort of explained in the uh, the word itself, biopsychosocial. But right, yeah, you know, well, the bio biopsychosocial approach is actually a, a conventional psychiatrist approach, um, and it is something that Paul Fink, um, uh, he's a, a physician who I don't think he's the only person who's written about it, but there's lots of papers about that approach and. Um, and it is looking at the biology of the person, the psychology and the social and how they all interact. Um, and so I think that's a great approach, but I take functional medicine kind of takes it one step further in the biology piece because we're looking at physiology, cell biology, you know, looking at, you know, cellular, on a cellular le level and how all of the, um, all of uh, the different systems interact with each other um you know in the body you know not just looking at specific organs and just focusing on that organ and forgetting about the rest of the body right not pro that <laughs> yes yeah and there's a time and a place for just looking at one organ i guess but um generally speaking actually i don't know i, I don't like to make sweeping, sweeping statements but i think it's always important to know about the person's whole body and, and the person's whole world uh, and I Absolutely. and I also feel that there are more succinct ways to to do that, but uh, we'll get into that now. Yeah. Actually, what I would like to get into is um, well, what's also the title of your book is uh, "What if it's not depression?" Uh, that, that's such an amazing title. First of all, <laughs> if you be like, okay, so what if it's not depression? What what does that mean? So yeah, please share that with us. Oh wow. <laughs> I guess without, you know, giving away the entire book, but I'd love to know where that came from. Like, yeah, what, what spurred you to write about that? And what is it that you uncovered? Yeah, yeah, it's, a, you know, it took me a, a long time to get to that place. I've been in the process of writing this book for two years. And, you know, you know, the word depression just it means so many things, right? So it is a symptom. And what's happened in over decades is that it has, um, it is a symptom of, that can be, that's used by a lot of people, I think sometimes inappropriately, you know, because it's more of a clinical word and, you know, oh, I'm so depressed, but as opposed to, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I'm um, despondent, I'm, I'm uh, angry, I'm afraid, you know, like words that actually 
are, are um, defining specific emotions. And so sometimes that word, I'm depressed, me, you know, comes across as a, a clinical thing, uh, you know, uh, and, and then people assume that what they're experiencing is depression because of what they've heard of and because of what's on TV and right. And so that is uh, a word that I would love to remove <laughs> as, uh, you know, as a description of an emotion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, but it is, it is a feeling, uh, you know, sad or having um, a lack of pleasure from a clinic, the definition of clinical depression, you know, is having sadness or a lack of pleasure for uh, at least two weeks. And, uh, you know, it's usually accompanied by all of these physical symptoms, right? And, and then it's given a, a diagnosis of, let's say, dysthymia. I mean, there's a, a number of diagnoses under the mood disorders, but let's say dysthymia or major depression. And what typically happens is that there's this assumption that this is a medical disorder um, as opposed to a clinical syndrome, you know, mm-hmm. and this disorder or syndrome is then prescribed a medication, okay? As opposed to looking at, well, maybe this is a medical disorder that happens to have the symptom of depression accompanying it, right? And then, and maybe an antidepressant is not the most appropriate thing. And technically, you know, part of the DSM-5 indicates that you should rule out all medical causes. Mm. And, you know, basically that approach has been watered down significantly because I'm finding that so many people to end up coming to my practice have never had any blood work. You know, they might, um, and I've, and they've seen psychiatrists. You know, so psychi- so sometimes the psychiatrist thinks that the, you know, their primary care physician has done the blood work to rule out medical causes. The primary care physician thinks that the psychiatrist will do it and make sure that all the medical causes have been ruled out. And, or you'll have a psychotherapist that then communicates to the pediatrician or the family doctor and says, oh, this person has severe, severe depression and they need an antidepressant, right? There's, there's different avenues where people are put on medication and the medical causes are never sought. Not, I had a patient here recently who's been seeing a psychiatrist for a year now. She saw a therapist for two years and neither one of them had done any blood work at all. Yeah. Wow. Not at all. And that to me is really, that's not even, that's not even doing the standard of care. Okay. Not doing any blood work to rule out medical causes is, is to me is egregious. Uh, and just putting her, so now she's on three medications. She's on Wellbutrin, which was increased to a higher dose. Then she was add uh, Lamotrigine was added. And then, uh, and then Prozac just three weeks ago was added. So she's on three medications. Intense, three intense medications. Right. She's on. Yeah, and no blood, no blood work's been done. That uh, so any, uh, you know, I'm getting, <laughs> getting a little upset about it, but uh, it just makes me so angry. It really does when that even the standard of care is not done. So, so I, you know, I do talk about that, but but think about how maybe there are maybe this person has 
a, a medical diagnosis that causes depression. But there's so many, um, you know, problems like fibromyalgia and autoimmune disease and chronic pain that have accompanying symptoms of depression, but that's due to inflammation, you know? So, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, these antidepressants are used to treat a lot of things, not just depression. So, you know, when I talk about what if it's not depression, well, what if it's not this clinical syndrome of depression? And it's something else that really needs to be searched for more than the basic, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, blood work that's done. Because sometimes people have blood work done and they're told it's all normal. So, and there's different things I can say about that. You know, yeah. so <laughs> blood work's not interpreted. There, it's not all the blood work's done. There's so many causes of depression that not all the blood work's done. If it is done, it's not interpreted properly. You know, and then and uh, and then there's no recourse. So other than just okay, well, everything's normal. It must be in your head. And uh, here's an antidepressant. And um, so now I don't mean to minimize at all that there are people who have severe clinical depression that absolutely 100% need to be on an antidepressant. That's on the other extreme, you know, where, and you know, where they're suicidal. My son was put on antidepressants immediately, you know, and I would have done it exactly the same way, even if I was a functional medicine doctor at the time that this all happened. So, and I've been on an antidepressant, you know, when I had my Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis, thyroiditis uh, diagnosis. I had Epstein-Barr at the same time, and I was put on Welbutrin, and only recently have been tapered off of off of that medication. And it took I had a, this huge withdrawal with it that it took me literally years to come off of that medication. Wow. So and so it's it's it is something where um, I think you can, there is a place for medications, and and it be given when it's absolutely necessary. And if that medication is started to then look for the root causes. So at some point you can come off the medications, mm. you know? So because now research is showing that there's uh, a lot of issues with being on medications long-term. And so I think it's really, I think that the ideally the best approach would be to have almost like this yin yang relationship between conventional medicine and functional medicine you know it, in the same way you know you have an emergency right and you deal with an emergency and then okay we stabilize the emergency let's figure out what happened you know and fix that bring the body back into balance so you don't need to be on medication long term to me ideally that's the way medicine should be practiced and can um i agree uh can you paint maybe a, a clearer picture of the difference between the extremes? So for instance, like um, I know so many people with clinical depression and, and anxiety uh, and people that have really had the classic and, and severe symptoms of clinical depression. So what, what does it look like when it's a difference? Is that something that you can articulate? So um, the when someone is actually severely clinically depressed versus when they are having sim like severe symptoms of depression. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little context actually on my end, so I don't mm -hmm. talk about anyone else. 
um, for a period of two and a half years, I suffered from, um, I guess you could say depressive episode, like behaviorally induced. Um, I have never been diagnosed with clinical depression and I definitely do not feel like I am depressed. Uh, but for that period of time, I had something that was a, something happened that was a catalyst for feeling depressed for a long time. So that, that was a long period of time, right? It was two and a half years, definitely more than two weeks. Um, but I, I know that I wasn't clinically depressed, but people thought I was because of the longevity of it and symptoms that I was feeling. So maybe in my case, if someone came to you that way, what would you have to say about that? Um, or even if I did identify with clinical depression at that point, what would you have said? Uh, that's, uh, you know, I would have to look at all the layers. So I would search for <laughs> layers, right? I mean, think about it this way. I mean, if you looked at a person and everything that's affected <laughs> from the outside in, right? Do you have a sense of purpose, right? <laughs> right? Are you connect? Are you able to connect to people? Um, you know, just those two things can cause someone to be depressed, right? You know, do you feel like you have meaning in your life? <laughs> uh, you know, if you, if you think about Buddha and Jesus, right? They uh, sat alone for long periods of time to sort of work those things out, and I mean, they were probably depressed, <laughs> right, during those times. You know, so you know, sometimes depression or having a sense of that life is not, something's not right in life. Uh, it, you have to sit with it and work through it in order to grow from the, the process. And there are people who might look at you from the outside based on your symptoms, the, the syndrome that you might be experiencing, as being a clinical depression and then your your mind is put off track oh this is medical this is clinical it's not me trying to work something out and figure out who i am right it's and then you and then you end up getting off that track for a period of time and that could be you know you're you're losing that opportunity now sometimes people have a really hard time just being with their feelings and and working through them they think you know they are afraid of them or feel guilty about them feel shame about them, right? And so, so working through these emotions are really, really important. So that's, so, it, it, so there's these different layers and then it has to do with stresses, right? Stress in relationships, stress on your job. You know, maybe your job is, is killing you. <laughs> maybe you have a toxic boss. Maybe, you know, you know, so then, you know, there's impact to your body, you know? So if you go from the outside in, all of these different layers is what I look for and address them differently. So I've had com spiritual conversations with people about spirituality and, and meaning of life. I've had conversations about the head trauma that they had that impacted, you know, their gut that then caused them to have depression, you know? So, uh, I'm, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, head trauma, concussions and things like that. So, um, uh, and, or even just emotional trauma. I mean, that's my expertise in terms of psychotherapy. I have patients that have dissociative disorders and mood disorders because of the, of their emotional trauma and, and other types of trauma and how that impacts on their life and, you know, changing their perspective and how to cope and, you know, how it, how it changes, how they feel about themselves. 
as a person, you know. So all of these different layers are things that honestly antidepressants don't really address other than changing your, um, you know, changing your neurotransmitters uh, temporarily. And, and if those stressors remain on high, then they're not going, they're not going to be impacted by an antidepressant. So many people have those, these issues that I just talked about that an antidepressant doesn't address, you know, having yeah. a midlife crisis is not going to be changed by an antidepressant, you know, <laughs> you know, so it might a little bit, you know, in the same way, you know, like alcohol can change, you know, how someone feels, you know, but at some point it, that problem is still there. So I'm trying to answer your question. I don't know if I've really answered your question because it's so complicated and complex that, that, um, I, I think it, it needs to open up a conversation in terms of what's going on with a person and and bring all of those uh, cards on the table and looking at how it all interacts and starting first of all with safety. The most important thing is to make sure that person is safe. You know, so a clinical depression that causes, you know, that's that's including auditory hallucinations uh, or visual hallucinations, or command hallucinations. Um, and suicidal ideation, especially if there's an intent to plan, my first priority is to make sure that they're safe. And then the second priority, it, you know, if that needs to be, is to it, do they need to be in a hospital to keep them safe and, and potentially starting them on medication? So um, it is, it, it, everything's on a continuum. I mean, I'm sure yeah. even with fibromyalgia, there's different, fibromyalgia is on a continuum, oh, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I think if you look at, at look at it at everything as being on a continuum, and there's people who are on different places on that line, you know, you're going to address things um, based on where they're at, and and it's going to be a conversation with them about what they want to do, uh, or and I might say, look, you need you really really need to do this because X of X Y and Z, but ultimately it comes down to them. Unless obviously they want to kill themselves, I mean, then then I have to step in, you know, um, you know. But there there has to be a, a respectful conversation and a back and forth conversation about all of the possibilities um, and in terms of addressing the root causes of the depression. And so psychotherapy is definitely going to be a part of that. Um, and um, but I, you know. Again, I as as a as a psychiatrist that prescribes medication and when needed, because I don't prescribe medications as much anymore, but I still do. Certainly, like I would say, maybe ten percent now compared to years ago. I would, and but psychotherapy is a big part of the way I address issues and diagnostically as well as um, in in doing therapy. But then the functional medicine piece is really what gets things moving to a place of healing. That's, that's what really makes the difference. Yeah. And um, I know you mentioned this earlier that it uh, going down the levels can also include uh, gestationally. So like when uh, the mother is pregnant with that person. Uh, I was thinking though about um, people I know who were diagnosed with clinical depression at a very young age, uh, who, I mean, to their knowledge, were not traumatized. I mean, like, 
they were diagnosed, let's say at eight years old, but they had had symptoms since they were three, mm. you know, yeah. like that always, those things always trouble me because I, I know that there are a lot of things we don't know and maybe can't know whether it be about their mother and the kind of stress um, or something that happened to them when they were a baby, when they don't know. Right. But I guess in those situations where there's no obvious information, so I'm like, I'm really like directing like the yeah. <laughs> difficult. Well, you know, I, I, it comes to, I, this one patient comes to mind um, and it, he, um, he actually started to see me because he was having panic attacks mm-hmm. and he had a difficult childhood and a strange relationship with his mother. And, um, and he had always had this low level of depression and um, kind of just thought, oh, this is just like, kind of like my personality, it's just, just the way I am. And um, never really sought treatment for it because it's just been there like since he was five. <laughs> and, um, and so when I treated him for his panic attacks, uh, treated his gut in the way I explained the five R's, you know, um, I had a session with him one day and he said, you know, my depression is getting better and I've been feeling joy. You know, I've never felt joy before. And I just thought that was just who I was and, and I'm experiencing joy. And he, you know, gave a little story about, it's like, yep, that's joy. (laughs) It's so I, you know, I've been finding that people do change. I've had personal, I've, I've had some patients where, you know, when they start seeing us, they're really, they can be really nasty. And sometimes in the beginning, especially to my office manager. (laughs) And then then like three months later, my my office manager is like, wow, she was really nice to me. (laughs) It's like, things are So I, it's people's personalities change think in the way that they never imagined. So even though that they come to me to address specific issues, they get so many other benefits along the way that they didn't even anticipate. Yeah, because you're treating the whole body and the whole mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it, it is, it's, it's amazing. It's always, I'm always surprised at how well people do. And it's, I'm always high-fiving and, my patients and doing a little happy dance when they say like their depression. I had a patient who came in with her mom the other day and um, I saw mom in the first session with patient because she um, she's, you know, uh, uh, in college and um, you know, a lot of times the college students don't really know um, about the early part of their childhood. So, and then after that, after that, uh, the mom would not come in and I would just have the, the session with um, patient. And then six months later, so I started seeing her in June and then just this, just this earlier this week, mom came in and um, she just started crying. And I said, what's, what's wrong? And she goes, I just wanted to express to you how much you've done. And, um, she was just so she was so happy uh and had joy uh, with tears about her getting her daughter back in 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 six months and she she was a girl that had lots of uh severe depression with suicidal ideations so i really um i you know i really see so many people get 
get well with this approach. And I'm not saying that there aren't people who don't, um, because so, there's so many variables, but you know, I think if you put, if you do the work, it's, and it's work, you know, changing, changing your diet, changing your lifestyle, it's, it really is work. But, you know, I think the other part of it is saying, do I still want to live this way? You know, really looking at your life and, and wanting to make those kinds of changes is, is, um, is something that has to be decided by that person. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for shedding light on something that can be very dark. Right. It's, uh, I don't know if I've ever looked at depression with such hope. Mm -hmm. So, uh, really thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing all of your experience and knowledge and insight with us. It's been really special. Oh, I really, really appreciate it. I really, I really want people to know that there's lots of hope <laughs> to getting better. There are definitely other ways of addressing issues than what they, you know, than the conventional way. And certainly there's a place for the conventional way, but there's other ways as well if that's not working for you. So don't lose hope. Find the right people to help you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Wellacopia podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things. Hit our subscribe button, tap those stars to give us a rating, or even better, a review, and share this episode with a loved one. If you're interested in working with Dr. Stein and want a free copy of her book, send her an email with, I want to work with you, in the subject line. She'll send you the book and set up a time to talk. Her email address is astein at healthyselfbootcamp.com. Of course, I'll add that in the show notes. You can also check out her Facebook group, which is called What If It's Not Depression as well. If you're also interested in some chronic illness-specific inspiration on a weekly basis, sign up for our Wellspo weekly newsletter. Wellspo stands for Wellness Inspiration, by the way. Each week on Friday afternoons, we'll send you a short email that links to uplifting stories, summaries of new research, giggle-worthy memes, and more. You can sign up for the newsletter on wellacopia.com if you scroll to the bottom of our homepage or blog.wellacopia.com slash newsletter, and both links will be in the show notes. If you ever want to submit a question or suggestion, feel free to send an email to chronicillnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in to the Wellacopia podcast. Be kind, be gentle and be badass.